0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. This past week I listened to a podcast, actually, I'm sorry, a TED talk put on by a woman named Angela Duckworth. Now, Angela, she was someone who uh, was a teacher in New York City, a public school teacher in New York City, and she during her time teaching there, started to wonder and to think about what is it that predicts the success of students? In fact, this question uh, interests her so much that she shifted uh, career paths a little bit. She became uh, a psychologist and she began studying this specific question more closely. What predicts Success, uh, not just uh, of, of students, but she was looking at uh, West Point, West Point graduates, military academy, uh, the National Spelling Bee. She was looking at uh, salespeople throughout the world. Well, uh, what what common denominators? What traits would predict the success of these people? And what she found is that there are certain things that absolutely don't predict success that we might think would predict success. Uh, Things like social intelligence, good looks, physical health, even financial well-being. And as she went through this study and, and kept studying all these different groups of people, the one common denominator that she came up with that she found was this. Grit. That grit was a, a predictor of success. So l- let's talk about what, what is grit. Grit is is its stamina. Right? Right. Grit is is a marathon not a sprint. Grit is sticking with your future goals. And she, she came up with this definition here. Grit is passion and perseverance for long-term goals. Grit, she found, was a predictor Of future success. Now, what does that have to do with with the gospel? With our text today? Well, I I think it actually does have uh, quite a bit to to do with it. Uh, it. We are in our sermon series called "Equipped" right now, and and in this sermon series, we're we're looking at. Paul's letters to Tim- Timothy, 1st uh, Timothy and 2nd Timothy. And so at this point we are in 2nd Timothy and as as far as we know, this is Paul's last recorded writing in scripture. This was something that 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 Paul was writing as his last words to His dear child in the faith, Timothy. Timothy and and Paul had gone back for at least 15 years at this point. Paul likely was in prison in Rome. Timothy, the pastor of the church in Ephesus. So. Today's Turkey, Asia Minor, right? And, and so they were separated by, by a sea, by some distance. And Paul, because of his deep love and concern for, for Timothy, he was writing these last words to Timothy. These are being written probably right before t- uh, Paul was executed for the faith. Months, maybe even weeks before his head was chopped off for the sake of Christ. Paul's words in, in 2 Timothy, then, are we can see they're they are a source of encouragement to Timothy. They're words of exhortation to Timothy, like kind of directing him, giving him his, his, the, the last instructions for how he can pastor that church. And we might be able to say it this way, that Paul's words to Timothy were this. Be gritty. And let me explain what I mean by that. Paul, in our text today, in 2 Timothy 2, he gives Timothy three examples, three illustrations for how he is to, to conduct ministry. First one in, in verse four, says this: "No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him." All right, so let's, let's flesh this out. What's, what's Paul talking about I mean? His point here is that we as Christians, Timothy, as a pastor of a church, he was enlisted. By the Lord Jesus Christ in the king's army, if you will, to carry out the duty of the church, caring for the flock. And, and what's Paul saying to Timothy at this point? Paul is saying, keep the main thing the main thing, stay focused on your purpose as a disciple of Christ and a pastor of the church of our Lord. What's the purpose of the church? The Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, our Lord Jesus says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them everything that I have taught you. That is our purpose. Purpose as a church. Uh, our purpose as as a church isn't merely compassion, although that's part of it. That, that that if it's done right, social justice, compassion can be part of making disciples. But it's subservient to making disciples for Christ. Our, our purpose as the church isn't simply just a nice community nice gathering place to get together. Although compassion and community are both good things, God things, but they aren't the, the ultimate thing for the church. The the church's purpose isn't to be financially solvent. The the church's purpose is not to promote a political agenda. The church's purpose is not, in our day and age, merely to survive. Just to keep the doors open. We need to keep the main thing the main thing. Soldiers need to not get entangled in civilian affairs or things that are distracting us. What is the purpose of the church? The purpose of the church is to to make disciples. Disciples. Paul, in verse 2, was riffing on this theme. He says this, What you have heard from me, so Paul, what you have heard from me, Timothy, in the presence of many witnesses. Timothy was part of Paul's missionary journeys. He saw Paul and his evangelism efforts. Oftentimes, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You see what's, what's happening here? Paul is saying, make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. So he's kind of riffing off of the Lord Jesus' uh, instructions in the, the Great Commission. So here's an illustration. Let me ask you this. What does an apple tree produce? Apples. Apples. That's true, but incomplete. An apple tree produces more apple trees, right? What's the purpose of an apple? The fruit bears the seed, the seed then is taken off by animals or whoever is eating it, and then more apple trees are spread and apple orchards are developed in the same way. What do disciples produce? Disciples who make disciples. Right? We as Christians, whether whether we're a pastor of a church, the parent of children, whether we're p- part of the church leadership whether our children are, are minors or grown whether we have uh, encountered other people in our neighborhood our neighbors our work our t- our school what are we called to do as disciples make more disciples who make more disciples so that was that's that's the first part about being gritty stay focused right Stay focused on what what the goal, what the king's mission has been that's been given to us. Now verse 5, he gives another illustration. says this, An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. What's the point? Play by the rules. We have... Recently entered into the Major League Baseball's playoff series, right? Playoff time, and, and yay, Guardians, formerly Cleveland Indians. If you're not from Cleveland and don't know the name change, yay, Guardians, who just won their their wild card series against Tampa Bay, and and it's important in baseball that we play by the rules. Now, I'm going to give another illustration here that I was going to hold off on, but. Uh, Given circumstances of, of our worship today, I want to specific, specifically talk about this. Uh, when, when a baseball team doesn't play by the rules, what happens? What, how are they thought of? Cheaters! Right? And so, so even if they are really good, even if they have great pitching and great hitting, even if they, they win the World Series, if they were banging on drums in the, in the dugout so that the batters knew what the pitchers were about to throw, whether it was a curveball or a fastball, the Houston Astros become the Houston Asterixes, right? Just saying. I love you. I love you, Gene. <laughs> Here is the il- illustration I was going to go with. Aaron Judge just hit 62 home runs. Most home runs hit by any any American League uh, player in the history of Major League Baseball. However, less home runs than Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, Barry Bonds. Who owns the record for most home runs hit in a Major League Baseball season? You might say Barry Bonds. I would say Aaron Judge. Why? Because he wasn't juicing. Like the other guys who were taking steroids, they were cheating, right? Doesn't, and I'll also throw this in here. My guardians are about to enter into a series against the New York Yankees, the evil empire, right? All those things you want to say about them. But Aaron Judge, I would argue, is the, the rightful owner of the home run record. Why? Because he didn't cheat. And if you disagree with me, that's okay. Uh, you also disagree with the Bible because it's right here. I'm, uh, the, you know, the, uh, an athlete crowned is, is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. right? So if you've got a problem with my take on this, that's okay. Take it up with Jesus. All right. In the church. We play according to the rules. We make disciples as the church, but we don't we don't juice. We don't fake it. We don't sw- do things to swell attendance in, in worship in order to make people more likely to come. What would be the case in Timothy's situation? Uh, Maybe the temptation would be, "Eh, "Ooh, that teaching on life or on sexuality or on um, gender roles in the church, that might be offensive. Let's Let's just leave that out of our worship service so that no one... No one uh, leaves because we don't want to cause an offense. Really, it's all about Jesus anyways. We'll just kind of skirt around that. Is that playing by the rules? I don't think so. Or, Or churches, unfortunately, look one way on Sunday morning. Everyone has their plastic smiles on, put on their Sunday's best. And then Wednesday staff meetings behind closed doors, Ugly underbelly of the church can come out. What are the church's rules to play by? Well, Ten Commandments is a good start. What else? Paul writes a couple letters to Timothy. First and second Timothy, along with Titus, are referred to as the pastoral epistles. Pastoral letters that says how church worship ought to look like. We can also look at the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, on and on. If we as the church, or specifically as we, if we as Christians are doing things that undercut the word of God, and we maybe even justify it saying, well, we've got more people in worship today than we would have otherwise. I think we need to have a little come-to-Jesus meeting and re-examine what the rules for church are. The last illustration that, that Paul gives here in verse 6 is, is this. He says, It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Now this one's a little bit different, a little odd. What does this mean? The hardworking farmer should have the first share of the crops. Remember, Paul is talking to a pastor, Timothy. He's saying, Pastor, church workers, and the church as a whole, make sure you take care of yourselves. Christians, whether they've been recent converts or lifelong Christians, need the same thing to sustain them as the people that they are trying to reach. And what is that? It's the word of God. It's the the gospel. Sometimes in the church there can be this thinking of, oh yeah, I I was saved 25 years ago when I made my decision and publicly pronounce my, my faith before the, the, the church or I was saved when I was baptized 60 some years ago whatever the case may be and, and that's true but if we start to think now I'm kind of past that gospel stuff I, I've already been saved I've accepted Jesus I, I have faith in God now we just go back to Well, the law, the rules, what God tells us to do, we're setting ourselves up for for failure. We need the gospel regularly. That's why we begin the worship service by once again confessing our sins and receiving the gospel through the absolution, through the forgiveness of sins. Uh, I didn't say it this way today, but I as a called and ordained servant of Christ, therefore forgive you of all your sins, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Right? We, we, we need to daily live in that reality of the gospel, of how much we need God for our provisions, our daily bread. We need the forgiveness of trespasses. This is the Lord's prayer. I'm just stepping through here. We, we need his leading. We need his deliverance from evil. We need it always especially those of us who are going about the work of our Lord and sharing the gospel with others. This doesn't say that the, the farmer needs to take the, the largest share of the crop or the, he'll hoard it all to himself, but make sure as you're working, church, that you stay in the word and that you receive nourishment from it. the word of god is is unbound it's it's powerful and we're called to be gritty playing by the rules keeping our our eyes on the the main thing the main thing focusing on what we're called to do caring for ourselves we need to, to continue to stay, stay gritty here. Now, Going back to the, that woman, Angela Duckworth, who talked about grit being the common denominator between successful people. One thing she did admit, that, that she was stumped regarding how to produce grit in people. That's where it gets a little bit hard. We can identify it. see, all right, yeah, grittiness, this is, that's a common characteristic, but how do we keep uh, um, producing that in other people, in their lives? She didn't know exactly how to answer this. So she said something, it has something to do with having a, a growth mindset, not believing that failure is a, a permanent condition. And I think she was on the right track, but let's let the word of God help her here. (laughs) What gives us a growth mindset? What helps us to to see failure as not a permanent condition more than God's word? I would say nothing. (laughs) God's word is, is the power behind our grit. So we think of Paul. At this point, he's chained. He's in prison. He knows his days are likely numbered at this point. Reminds me of another time that the Apostle Paul was in prison, a few years before this, as he wrote his letter to the church in Philippi, the letter of Philippians. And one thing that, that he says in, in the letter of Philippians as he started out, he said this, hey, I'm chained up. You know I'm locked up. But you know what? The gospel continues to go forward throughout the entire house of Caesar. In fact, what has happened to me, Paul says, has actually served for the gospel's advance through Caesar's house. So Paul saw here Paul is, he's chained to a, a prison guard and instead of seeing it as, oh man, I'm chained to this guy, I can't go anywhere. This guy's chained to me, he can't go anywhere, I'm going to preach! I'm going to tell him about Jesus! <laughs> and that's what he gets excited about. Think about the, the unbound word of God. And this is what he says here in, in uh, verse, verse 9 for which I am suffering, let me back up, I preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. The word of God is not bound. The word of God, which when at the beginning, when God spoke his word, creation came into existence. Light was formed. Plants and earth and sky and water and ground and animals and humans were formed by this unbound word of God. In Isaiah, the the prophet Isaiah says this, that grass withers, the flower fades but the word of the Lord, anyone, endures forever. Right, right, absolutely, that the word of the Lord keeps going. Then, the word of the Lord, we're told in, in John, in his gospel, that the word became flesh. That's our Lord Jesus, that the word of God came into this world He was made flesh. He became one of us. Incarnate is the word that we use. Jesus, during his earthly ministry, he spoke the word of power, this unbound word of God. And what happened when he would speak? Blind would see. Deaf would hear. Lame would walk. Storms were stilled. The word of the Lord is unbound. The, word, or the world, I should say, tried to bind the word of God, tried to kill the word of God. And when Jesus was hung upon Calvary's cross, that's exactly what was, was trying to be accomplished by the evil powers in this world. And they buried Jesus after he dies on the cross. They buried him. They roll a stone over the tomb, big stone, heavy stone. They put a, a seal around the stone to make sure no one gets in or out. They put soldiers around the stone to protect this, the tomb from the disciples of Jesus possibly robbing the grave. Silly, wasn't it? <laughs> the, un, the Word of God is unbound. It can't be sealed. It can't be guarded. It can't be covered up with a stone or with chains. The Word of God can't be bound. And that's what we see in the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is what we see. The failure, what looks like failure, death on a cross, failure is not permanent. It's not just a hope wishful thinking that we have as Christians, we know it's not. So when it comes to having grit as the church, when it comes to to pushing through hard times, suffering, perseverance, whatever, rejection, what do we see? We see Jesus. We see the Word of God in our lives, in our community, and beyond. Paul gives a poem here at the end of this, our reading today, verses 11 through 13. Maybe this was a hymn. Maybe this was something that Paul sang to himself as he was in prison his last days. If we have died with him through baptism, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. With him, if we deny him, he will also deny us, and there are hard truths to that. But if, at the same time, if we're faithless, he remains faithful, because he cannot deny himself. The word of God continues to do what it does, and the church continues to be gritty. What 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 is Paul? Telling Verse ten, he says this. Therefore. I endure everything. I'm gritty for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal joy. Paul continued to be gritty. The church throughout history has been gritty. Why do a few ragtag followers of Jesus from the backwaters of the Roman Empire in Judea. How? Why? What happened that they were able to start a movement that took over the world, took over the Roman Empire within 250 years, and then the world beyond? How is this possible? It's only by the power of the resurrection. It's only by the power of, of the grittiness that the Holy Spirit gives to us. From a, They will go from a small Church and followers of Christ to a worldwide movement. Today, and really just 100 years ago, 200 years ago, even today, the world predicts, oh, the church doesn't have much longer. The church is going to crumble. The church is dying. The church is dead. God is dead. What are those? uh, They keep saying those things, and, and what keeps happening? The church keeps going by the power of the Word of God. Why? Because we're gritty. We're gritty. And even Christ Lutheran success in the past few years, there was a moment, there were times where we're like, whew, is this, where are we supposed to go? This is tough. We don't know what's happening here. This is painful. We're small. We're trying to, to, to pay the bills and keep the doors open. And the church, tired, Small, aging, yet gritty for the sake of the gospel. So much so that today, thanks be to God, we are in a place where we have a little bit more wherewithal as the church. So empowered by the unbound word of God. We, as God's people, were gritty. And to God alone be all the glory. Amen. Now may the peace which passes all understanding keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen.